Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. Hey, it's so good to have all of you on all of our campuses. And uh, hey, this is the sermon we've been talking about for three weeks, right, that you're going to get to hear today. So if this is your first time here, or if you're kind of like new to this series or um, any part of this series, for the past three weeks, uh, we've been talking about what do you do when you're experiencing kind of a bottom of the ninth kind of moment. And so uh, if you haven't been here, we really would encourage you to go back and catch up. Either you can do it on our website, or you can go on the RCC app, and you can watch or listen on either one of those um, digital um, experiences. And, and the reason we suggest this is because this conversation that we're having, I mean, it's such an important series to the process of our life. Because see, the truth is, every one of us, we face bottom of the ninth moments in our lives. Moments in our lives when we feel like that we're like down to our last strike and, and hope is almost gone. And maybe for some of you, your hope is almost gone for finding your purpose and your meaning in life. It feels that way to you. Or for some of you, your hope seems almost gone because it, it seems like you're not going to be able to fulfill those career dreams. They're never going to come true in your life. Or hope seems almost gone to get married or to save your marriage. Or hope almost seems gone to be able to have a child or maybe even to be able to get your child back on track in their life because they're so rebellious right now. Or, or maybe hope seems almost gone for that person that you love to be able to break free from that addiction that they have in their life. They try and they try and it just doesn't seem to happen. Or for some of you, hope seems almost gone for you to avoid that financial disaster, to not lose your home, to not have to start over again. Like hope seems almost gone to regain any hope about your financial future. For some of you, it's, it's your health. Or for some of you, it's to overcome depression and anxiety and all of those fear worries that kind of overwhelm you and create all that depression and anxiety. See, the bottom of the ninth moments, when they come into our life or when we're experiencing them in our life, they leave you feeling down and out and just full of all kind of doubt, don't they? But here's what we discovered over this last three weeks. In fact, in week one, we discovered this, that faith is not the absence of fear, Faith is moving ahead in spite of our fear. See, faith is recognizing that while our situation seems impossible, we follow a anything is possible kind of God. So we're not going to like stick our head in the sand and just ignore our situation. But we're going to, as we learned in week two, we're going to confront the brutal facts and just be honest about all these challenges that we're experiencing. But at the same time, we said, no, we're not going to let them paralyze us. Like we're going to keep believing in the one who can move mountains and, and move ahead in spite of of our fear. See, that's what it means to have faith, that I'll do what I can do, and then I'll trust God to do what only he can do. And then last week, we, we put this very, well, I think it's like one of the most important talks. I mean, today, I think it's probably the one of the, probably if you would say the most important talk of the series would be today, but like last week was so important because we said that while you wait, when you're in that bottom of the ninth situation, the temptations are so great. And, and while we wait, because the emotions that surround us are so great, we, we experience some of the most powerful temptations that we'll ever experience in our lives to take shortcuts. And we'll try to meet like legitimate needs in an illegitimate kind of way, or we're tempted kind of to manipulate God to move on our behalf, or we're tempted to accomplish God's plan our way. 
But what we discovered is when we do that, I mean, there's a bigger price to pay than what we even come close to realizing. Like, there is more at stake than what we realize when we're in these bottom of the ninth kind of moments. See, our response to those temptations in those bottom of the ninth kind of moments They determine our future, they determine our family's future, they determine our faith. Like, our faith is at stake based upon the responses that we make. Our family's future is at stake, our our future's at stake. In fact, our peace, the ability to do life well in the bottom of the night, it's all at stake. Because the emotions are so great. So what we discovered is like we, we should never, in those bottom of the ninth moments when we face those temptations, we, we should never trade what is ultimate for what is immediate. Like we should never trade what we want most for our future and for our family and for our faith for what we want right now. That's a bad trade every time. Like it's always wiser to let our faith overwhelm our doubt and keep trusting God that he's going to bring us through even if we have a comeback or not. And here's the reality. If you really stop and think about it, I mean, we all love a good comeback story, don't we? I mean, like, if you were an Auburn fan this past week, you would have loved to come back. If you were an FSU fan, you would have loved to come back, right? I mean, like, if you've been watching the Baseball World Series, you know they didn't have a comeback. What happened to them is what happens that we're going to talk about today is what do you do when you lose? Because see, the reality is, it's like we all want our story to have a comeback when we're like in this bottom of the night kind of situation. And the good news, it often happens, doesn't it? In fact, the Bible is just like full of stories of great comebacks. I mean, like Abraham's story and David's story and Joseph's story and Moses' story. And, and we can tell so many stories of all these comebacks. Like God often delivers when it seems like there's just a dead end, when, when there's no way to win. But what do you do when that's not true for you? What do you do when the comeback doesn't come through? Like, what do you do when you're down to the bottom of the ninth, last strike, and you strike out? What do you do when you lose? Because, see, every bottom of the ninth doesn't end in a miracle. And if you've watched any of the Baseball World Series or for college this, this week, you know that. Every one of them doesn't end in a miracle. See, there is just as many stories in life, and there's just as many stories in the Bible of people who did not get their comeback as those who did. So what do you do? What do you do then when that happens? Like, what do you do now? Like, what now? That's where some of you are at, isn't it? I mean, it's like, You've got this loss going on in your life, or you just experienced this loss in your life, and you had prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed, and the miracle didn't happen. You struck out. Does that mean you don't have enough faith? Does it mean that God isn't there, or that God doesn't care? And, and the answer to that, we've discovered that over the last three weeks, is no, he's there, he cares. So so what do you do when you lose? Well, here's the good news. There is a great example of this in the book of Acts. In fact, if you want to go in your Bibles or on your uh, phone and you want to follow along in Acts chapter 7 is where we're going to go. But Acts was written by Luke as a historical kind of account of what happened in the early church. And 
and how the church, as it first got started, some of the things that began to happen. And, and one of those key people in the early church was a man by the name of Stephen. And we're going to look at Stephen's life today. In fact, Stephen, he kind of first steps on the scene in Acts chapter 6 to kind of help resolve a problem that was going on in the early church because the early church was growing and they were having all kind of growing pains. And one of the things they were doing is they were providing food daily to the Jewish widows and the Greek widows who had no means of support and they had no family to help them. But some of those widows... We're getting plenty of food, and then some of those widows, they weren't getting as much food. And so there's like this little drama thing that's going on. And so Peter, James, and John, and some of the other leaders of the church, they decided, okay, let's choose a group of men to take care of this problem. And Stephen was one of those guys because he was highly respected. In fact, Luke says that Stephen was a man, don't miss this, because wouldn't you like this to be said about you, that he was a man full of God's grace and God's power. He was full of God's grace and God's power. So this movement of the church is, is growing really fast, as we said, and then Stephen, he's there on the front lines, and there's some people, though, that aren't happy about what's happening with the church. And it's a group of people known as the Pharisees. They were like the religious leaders of that day. And so this movement of the church, I mean, church is like a, th it's a threat to all their religious power. And, and even with their religious power, it gave them some political power based on their, their system of government and, and their culture. So they do to Stephen exactly what these same religious leaders did to Jesus. They falsely accused him of slandering their religion. They have him arrested. They bring him in front of the Sanhedrin. And, and the Sanhedrin was a group of probably about 70 men where he is interrogated by the same people and the same high, press, high priest who arrested Jesus. He's interrogated like Jesus was. And, and by the way, they executed Jesus, right? So Stephen knows what could happen to him. So it's like, like, this is like a major bottom of the ninth moment. This is not where you want to find yourself sometime soon after what has happened to Jesus. But that's where Jesus, or that's where Stephen is. I mean, he knows who this group of people are. He knows what they've just done to Jesus. He knows what maybe they will even do to him. So this pivotal moment in Stephen's life, it begins happening in Acts chapter 7, if you want to follow along. And basically, here's where it's, how it starts. The high priest, he asked Stephen if the charges against him are true. And in that moment in time, Stephen has like a choice. Like, he can do this self-preservation thing and say, no, they're not true at all. Man, I love you guys. I'm behind you guys. I support everything you do for our country. I mean, thank you so much. But that's not Stephen. Stephen is a man who's full of God's grace and God's power. And so therefore, he's a truth teller. He's a man of faith. So he takes this opportunity, and he stands up in front of these 70 guys and this high priest, and he starts talking them through the history of their people and the promises that God had made to them over the years. And he says, like, do you guys remember Abraham and what God did for him? And do you remember Joseph? And do you remember Moses and, and what God did for them? And it's like they're probably like rolling their eyes or shrugging their shoulders, just kind of ignoring him. Because like he's telling them the very things that they are teaching their people, the very history that they believe. But he doesn't stop there. He takes it a little bit further. He goes, okay, I'm building on the same foundation you guys are on, but there's something more you need to understand. And so he delivers this truth. 
And it's a powerful truth. And he basically points his finger in their face and he says this. Look at verse 51, Acts chapter 7, 51. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having somebody saying that? Pointing their finger at you. Now, and here's the other thing. When you read this and you hear him go, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. I mean, like, it doesn't take a lot of thought to understand. This is an insult to them. This is an insult to their culture. But here's the reality. When we read that, we understand it's an insult, but we don't understand how big of an insult it is. In fact, to help you understand how big an insult it is, think about it this way. You know, like when you were a kid on the playground, especially if this is true of guys, like you're playing ball of some kind or some kind of sport, and all of a sudden there's all this smack talk going around on the field, and, you know, it keeps escalating and it keeps escalating. And then the next thing you know, you hear some guy say to another guy, well, your mama. <laughs> and here's what you know. Whenever you bring your mama kind of slander Smack talk into the conversation. I mean, it gets serious really quick. Like, you just don't do, like, your mom is so ugly, you got to hang a pork chop around her neck so the dog will hang out with her. You just don't do that because when you do that, I mean, fights like start breaking out, right? Well, in the first century, when they want to do some smack talk, they wouldn't say anything about your mama. Mamas were saved. They go, your daddy is so uncircumcised. <laughs> That's what's happening here. So you know a fight is about to break out. So it's like, Stephen, what he's saying, it is so offensive, these religious leaders. But he's not done. I mean, he's not done. Notice this, verse 52. Was there ever a prophet that your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, referring to Jesus. And he goes on. And now you have betrayed and you have murdered him. Like, you have killed the son of God. You have killed God. Like, you are so evil. You who have received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed it. And these guys that he's talking to, they, they were so proud of themselves and of, of, because they kept the law so good and that they were God's favorites and all those things. And, and these guys come along going, you, you've not even kept it. You've not obeyed it. And by the way, you murdered Jesus. Like, that's pretty bold. How much more direct can you be? And, and, and Stephen's saying this to a group of people who have the power to put him to, to death, but he doesn't pull any kind of punches. Like he points his finger right in their face and he says, Jesus was who he said he was, and you murdered him. You betrayed God in human flesh. Now when you read that, you might think, oh, this is going to be cool. This is going to be like for Stephen, what happened to Jesus when he was baptized. Heaven's going to open up. God's going to look down and go, oh, wow, Stephen, you're like my beloved child. 
Because after all, you think, like, God's got to reward this guy and his courage and his faith. And, and these men are going to go, oh, man, Stephen. They're going to do like kind of Peter in, when Acts, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when, you know, Peter teaches his message. They all get on their knees and they repent and say, oh, you know, we're going to follow Jesus. And they're going, we're sorry. We're going to follow Jesus too. That doesn't happen. Because after all, he talks smack talk about their daddy. Notice what happened. Here's the deal. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him and dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. We'll come back to him in a moment. You think about it. This is a man that is full of God's grace, and he's full of God's power. This is a man full of faith. And he did exactly what you think God would want him to do. He stood up and he said, no, this is the reality. This is what's happening. You have to ask yourself, God, why, why are you letting this stoning happen? I mean, Stephen is in a bottom of the ninth and he needs a comeback. Like, surely, God, you're, you're going to come through. You're, you're going to do some miracles here. You're, you're, you're not going to just let Stephen be dragged out of the city. Maybe somebody's going to step in, and God's going to work a miracle at the last second. It's all going to be okay, right? Here's what happens, verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen knows he's going to lose. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Now here's what's so incredible about this. What is incredible about this prayer that Stephen prays right here, these are the two very things that, Je uh, that Jesus prayed on the cross. I mean, you can't ask for someone to handle their bottom of the night any better. They followed the model of Jesus. I'm sure that Stephen even heard, probably either heard about or was there when he saw Jesus on the cross and he saw how Jesus handled his bottom of the night moment and he handled it the same way. Like, no bitterness, no grudges. He's just trusting God all the way through to the end. And the end did come. Notice the last part of the verse. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And by the way, that's first century talk for he died. It wasn't like some little cozy thing where he laid his head down and went to sleep. No, this is like some stones banged him upside the head and took him out. It's a miserable way to die. And he's praying. With every stone that pounds him, Lord, receive my spirit and don't hold this against them. Stephen's bottom of the ninth had no comeback. There was no miracle. There was no answered prayers. And you think about it. Stephen had lived a life that fully honored God. I mean, like he had served and he loved people like, just like Jesus, and God still didn't answer his prayer. He still died. And the question is, what do you do with that? Like, what do you do with that? 
Like, what do you do when you lose? Like, how do you make sense out of the moment when God doesn't come through? Because the reality is we can all relate to that, can't we? Like, we've all watched our friends go through this. Most all of us have gone through this at some level. Like, we prayed and we hoped and we prayed and we hoped and we prayed and we hoped for God to come through. And and we're just trusting him to do a miracle in the last moment. And he didn't. And we struck out. And the game was lost. And the lights went out. And everybody left the stadium. And there we are in the dark. Not knowing what to do. We all know what it's like to have the lights go out, strike out, the lights go out, and it feels like everything and everybody, maybe even including God, have left you in the stadium by yourself. Like, like you heard your company might be shaking things up a bit, but you have been, been with this company for years and years, and, and you didn't think you would be one of the ones that got a pink slip, so you didn't prepare, and suddenly you're without a job and you're without a plan. It's like, God, why would you let that happen? They kept some people who they just hired, and they let me go. I mean, like, things are rough financially, and you kept praying, and you kept hoping and praying and hoping for that miracle to show up, and it didn't. And now the bank has sent you that foreclosure notice, and, and, and maybe for you, you've already been kicked out, and somebody else has moved in, and they've changed the locks, and it's over. Lights out. Everybody's left the stadium. There is no more hope for you to have your dream home. And you prayed, and you hoped, and you prayed in your hope, but it didn't happen. Or for some of you... It was your marriage. You had prayed and you hoped and you tried and you prayed and you hoped and you tried for your marriage to improve. And it was a struggle. It was a struggle. But you still thought, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to come through in the ninth inning. We're going to have a miracle. And then one day he comes home and he tells you, hey, there's another woman that's been involved. And we've been involved for four to six months. And I'm leaving you and I'm divorcing you. I'm going to marry her because she is truly the love of my life. And suddenly it's lights out. Game over. Hope is gone. For some of you, it was a moment when the doctor said, I'm sorry, there's nothing else we can do for your family member. Listen, folks, what do you do when God doesn't come through with a comeback? Does does it mean that God doesn't care? Does it mean that God is absent, that God is not present, that he's not there? Does it, does it mean that he's not going to work in your situation? Or does it mean that he's abandoned you? And For these first century Christians, I mean, those, those are the questions that are kind of rattling around in their mind. Because, I mean, like the murder of Stephen was not just the bottom of the ninth moment for Stephen. The, the, the murder of Stephen, it triggered a bottom of the ninth moment for all of them. I mean, look at what Luke says happens in the next chapter, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, and Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution. If you want to know when the persecution of the church started, it was on this day that Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all, don't miss this word, and all, every person who is a Christ follower. By this point, there is a lot of them, if you read the opening of the book of Acts. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, you you don't want to miss this guy by the name of Saul right here. Remember, he's the guy that they threw their coats at his feet. I mean, this guy, he is so emboldened by what happened that day 
on the day when Stephen was murdered, that he took the lead in saying, I am going to put an end to all of this Jesus movement. And, the, and Saul, he made it his mission that he was going to arrest and he was going to kill as many Christ followers as he could. And as a result, what happens is all the Christians have to leave Jerusalem and they're scattered. I mean, they have to run for their lives. They have to leave their homes. They have to leave their jobs. Like that day, it started happening. But what all these people don't realize in their bottom of the ninth moment is that God is at work through their lost. In fact, you might want to write these down. There's two ways that we see that God is at work in their loss. First of all, the message of the gospel of Jesus spread in a way that it never would have before. That They didn't realize it, that God would be bringing good out of them losing their homes and their livelihood and where they lived. Because all of a sudden, the message of the gospel is being spread through the entire region. See, without the persecution, the message would have primarily stayed in Jerusalem. God spread the gospel message through their loss. The other good thing that had to do with this guy by the name of Saul. See, if you're familiar with him, you know that in the process of persecuting these followers of Jesus Christ, and you can read this in Acts chapter 9, he has a personal encounter with Jesus. And he goes from being the chief persecutor of the church to being the chief proponent of it. He ends up being responsible for taking the message of Jesus more places than anyone else in the first century. In fact, his transformation was so radical that he changed his name from Saul to Paul. And most of you know him as the Apostle Paul. So there's this amazing lesson here that we need to remember whenever we're facing our bottom of the ninth moment. And that is this. You can be used even when you lose. You can be used even when you lose. See, a loss doesn't mean that God is absent. A loss doesn't mean that God is not at work. See, God redeems losses just like he redeems wins. So just because like there was no comeback for you doesn't mean that God is through with you. You can be used even when you lose. I want to tell you, we, we tend to miss that. And the reason that we tend to miss that is because we are so focused on praying for God to remove the pain and, and to fix the problem. And, in, and to help us understand that, we probably need to change our prayers a little bit and say, God, I really want you to remove this. But even if you don't, I want you to lose this. Or use this, I'm sorry. God, I want you to remove this, but even if you don't, I want you to use it. Because here's the thing, something very powerful happens when you decide to let God use whatever you're going through, even if he doesn't come through with a comeback, even if the miracle doesn't happen. There's something so powerful that begins to happen in your soul and in your life when you begin to put, depend on Jesus for every moment of your day, every breath that you breathe. Every meal that you eat, every next step of your life, there's something so powerful and personal that begins to happen. And the question is, how do you get to that place where you can say, God, man, 
I would so love for you to remove this. But if you don't, please use this. Well, what do you do when you're in the bottom of the night and it looks like you may lose, but you want to make sure that God uses you? Well, here's what's so ironic about this whole story. Saul, who later changed his name to Paul, and we know him as Apostle Paul, toward the end of his life, he's now facing a bottom of the ninth moment, and he knows he's going to lose. Except this time, instead of being stoned to death like Stephen was, he's in a Roman prison cell waiting to be executed for spreading the gospel. And he knows he's going to die. And so he writes this letter to a young guy that he's mentoring by the name of Timothy. And he gave him some advice. And he says, here, Timothy, there are three things that you can do to make sure that God uses you even when you lose. And he tells him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, here's what he says. Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So here's how you make sure that God uses any bottom of the ninth moment that you face. Write these three words down. The first one is, you fight. You fight a good fight. This is, we talked about it before in this series, earlier in the series, and that is, this is where you just don't lay down and, and give up. This is like, you do what you do that's in your power, and then you don't give up. You let God do the rest, but you do what you can do. In other words, you fight in a good way for your marriage. You fight in a good way for the relationship. You fight to keep following and trusting Jesus even when it's hard. You do the good fight to do the right thing even when it feels like it's not going to get you where you want to go. He says, Timothy, the first thing is you do is you fight a good fight. You don't give up. You keep trusting God because God can still use you even if you lose. And the second thing he says you need to do, he says, you need to finish. You finish well. Maybe write that word, phrase down. You finish well, even if it costs you. You finish well, even if you lose your house. I mean, like, you walk out of that place, and you leave that place super clean and ready for the next person. Like, you finish well, even if they say, you have two weeks to do your job, or, and your job is over. Like, you work with excellence, and you give your very best to the very end. Like, you finish well even if he leaves you for another woman. Or you finish well even if she leaves you for another man. Like, you don't badmouth them. You don't talk trash about them or smack about them. You don't go, that uncircumcised man. Um, no, you don't do that. Like, you don't try to pay them back. Respectful, respectful to them even though they don't deserve it. See, well, the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, he says, listen, in the most painful situations, when no, no, nobody else would do this, you still finish the race well. And he says, here's the third thing. You keep the faith. You keep the faith. You don't let a loss destroy your faith or drive you away from God. And, and I'm telling you, this one's not easy when you know you're going to lose. 
But it's so amazing to watch when you see somebody do this, isn't it? It's why the story of Stephen inspires us so much when we read it. It's why Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame, it says all of these died having not received the promise. But they kept the faith. Some were sawn asunder. Some were stoned. Some just died in prison dungeons. Some died because they were hung on a cross. It's hard to keep the faith. That's why Hebrews 11 is all in Scripture. So you got to understand something. The greatest faith is not faith that moves God to act. The greatest faith is a faith that trusts God even when he doesn't act. Even when the comeback doesn't come through. You still keep believing. You still keep the faith. You still keep following. That's big faith. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. What you do in this moment when you lose, it really matters. Like, when you face a loss in the bottom of the ninth, it matters that you fight, it matters that you finish, and it matters that you keep the faith. Like, how you live in a loss matters. And you know why it matters? Because other people are watching you. Like, you are surrounded by people who, like, will be more impacted by your response to the loss than you'll ever know. Like, they are paying attention. Like, does this person really believe in God? Does this person really trust God? See, like, they're paying attention to see, is your faith strong enough to withstand a loss? They're paying attention to see, is your faith strong enough to fight right and finish well? You you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your response. And that's what the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy. He's saying, listen, Timothy, you don't know who's going to be inspired to follow and trust Jesus because you demonstrated big faith in, in him in a bad moment, at a bottom of the ninth moment when you lost. So he's saying, Timothy, I'm fixing to lose, but don't ignore this. And you know, I think the Apostle Paul would say to every one of us if he can speak today, he's saying, listen, if you're a Christ follower, don't ignore this. Don't respond like another person naturally would when they know they're in the bottom of the night and they strike out and they lose. He's saying, no, no, no. You lean into your heavenly Father with all your heart and you trust him even in the loss because here's what he's saying. You can be used even when you lose and when you understand that that brings purpose to your pain and that brings meaning to your loss and if you really unpack that without your emotions what it also means is that being used in your loss is better than having it removed and not being used being used by God is better than having a comeback and not being used. So as we close today, I just want to encourage you to pray a prayer, especially for all of those of you who are Christ followers. If you're not a Christ follower, I mean, man, you're welcome to join in this prayer because I tell you, it will change your life. It absolutely will, but it's optional for you. But for those of you that are Christ followers, 
Some of you are like in this bottom of the ninth moment, and and you know you're going to lose. Others of you, you're going to face a bottom of the ninth moment in the future, and you don't always have a miracle at the end. So, So would you tell God today, God, as much as I want you to remove this, God, I want you to use it even if I lose. I'm telling you, there's not a more powerful, life-changing kind of prayer that you can pray. You say, God, I'm going to fight well, I'm going to finish well, and I'm going to keep the faith. So will you use this, even if I lose? And I'm telling you, when you begin to pray that prayer, God shows up and he meets you in a personal way like you've never experienced him before. Because all of a sudden, you begin to depend on him moment by moment, day by day, minute by minute, in ways that you never have before. So can we make that our prayer this week? You bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, um, Pretty much every one of us, in some way, are in a bottom of the ninth moment. And I just pray that you'll help us to take the words of the Apostle Paul to heart. God, I pray that you'll help us to make the commitment today. We're going, to, we're going to pray this life-transforming kind of prayer that will so transform us that we'll be able to say, as Apostle Paul did, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Therefore, there, there is a reward. There's an incredible reward, and God, you're going to use it. So God, help us to just have the courage through the power of your Holy Spirit today. Say, God, we, we want this removed. We'd love a miracle. But God, would you, if you choose not to remove it, will you use it? God, that's our prayer. We want to be used by you. Thank you for what you're going to do in and through us as we move into that mindset and that level of dependence on you. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Hey, if some of you are with us today and you want to have a further conversation before you walk out of the building, just stop by the gallery on your campus and, man, we would love to have a conversation with you, helping you understand what your next best steps might be as you're working through your bottom of the ninth. Hey, you guys have a great day. We'll see you back next Sunday.